Colossians 3.12 says, You are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself with virtues of God since you have been divinely chosen to be holy. Do you know a girl who struggles with her self-esteem? Maybe she has depression, anxiety, or insecurity? Then keep on listening. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 168, and I am your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Many of you know I just released my Strong Father, Strong Daughters Masterclass, and I am so excited about the response I'm getting. Many fathers have started listening to it, and I am thrilled. We need to encourage dads everywhere. And this is one of my missions that I won't give up. So if you have a dad who needs encouragement or know a dad who needs encouragement, check out my masterclass, meekerparenting.com slash strong. All right, on to our show. My guest is Allie Marie Smith, founder and director of Wonderfully Made, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping teen girls and young women know their true value. She's an award-winning author, speaker, podcast host, and certified life coach. She authored Wonderfully Made, Discover the Identity, Love, and Worth You Were Created For. Well, Allie, thanks so much for joining me on my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. You have Wonderfully Made discover the identity, love, and worth you were created for. You know, this book couldn't come at a better time. I I know it's been out for a while, but I think when it comes to discovering our identity and discovering our value, I think that that is something that is very confusing to kids today. And my sense is that they're really reaching and looking for something that will make them understand how important they are. So tell me how you came to write Wonderfully Made. Sure. Well, it's really a book that was birthed out of my own personal story. And um, the message that really transformed my life. And I wanted to share it with girls and women because I think when we know the depth and the true meaning behind what it means to be fearfully or lovingly and wonderfully made or created, it really changes everything. And so Mm -hmm. I was a good girl from a good home and my parents were hardworking and, you know, they had a good marriage. They loved me. Um, As a little girl, I was, I was really feisty and confident and always climbing trees and barefoot and but around the age of 12 my confidence and my feistiness began to fade and i began to experience these uninvited um feelings of unworthiness sadness loneliness despair and it didn't add up it didn't Mm -hmm. it didn't make sense i had everything a girl could want uh i hadn't experienced any childhood trauma Um, And this really experience continued throughout high school. And on the outside, it looked as though I was the girl who had it together. Did you tell your parents? Did they know? I don't, they didn't know the extent that I was struggling, especially in high school. No Mm -hmm. one knew. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I started experiencing suicidal ideations around the time of my junior year. year. And oh. I, I didn't necessarily feel like I could be open with my emotions or my experiences. I always felt like I had to be fine. I had to put on perfect and I was chasing mm-hmm. perfection. And where did that come from? I think the the culture that I was raised in, I, I you know, my parents are very high achieving. Um, I went to private school. My personality was naturally perfectionistic and um, mm-hmm. I was always been very motivated, but really what drove me was my underlying insecurity and unworthiness. It really mm-hmm. drove me to, to try to be all these things to give me worth, to give me value, to give me identity. And what happened was 18, at the age of 18, after graduating summa cum laude with a smile stretched across my freckle face, you, you would think I was fine, uh, looking forward to an acceptance on the East Coast at a top university, I came undone. And I found myself in a deep and a dark and a very debilitating depression, unable to eat, sleep, or talk. And Dr. Meeker, my body was alive, but I will tell you, there was no life within me. And I was admitted to the psychiatric hospital. And the girl who on the outside Mm -hmm. looked like she had it together completely fell apart. And looking back, you know, it was very, very difficult, but it was one of the best things that happened to me, really. Um, and so mm. I was admitted and put on antidepressants. I was sent home three days later. And oh. <laughs> yeah, that's our medical system right now. Yeah, it's awful. So keep on going. So how did what happened over the next few years then? I went home. I promised the psychiatrist on duty that I wouldn't harm myself. And really in my mind, I was like, I'm just got to get out of here and I got to go end it all. That's what I was thinking. So I lied to him. And that summer, as my friends were partying and, you know, starting to decorate for their dorm rooms in college, I was uh, attending group therapy with people with all sorts of issues, addictions, challenges. Mm. I felt like I was the only one who didn't have a reason to be depressed. So that made me blame myself Mm -hmm. even more. And on an overcast day in June of 2001, I grabbed the car keys and I headed out of the home, uh, my house in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And I took off with one destination in mind. And that was the Golden Gate Bridge with the intention to end my life by jumping off. Oh. And I was very close to that bridge and I was driving recklessly and my tire hit a curb. I got a flat tire and I remember sitting in my car paralyzed, unsure what to do. And suddenly Mm -hmm. there was a knock on my window and this silver haired, kind hearted man came to my rescue and asked if he could call roadside assistance. And after not talking with anyone for probably over six weeks, I engaged in a real conversation with that man. Why did you not talk with anybody? I thought you were in group therapy and and you were living at home with your parents. Oh, I would sit. I would sit in group therapy. I wouldn't talk. I was mute for many, many months. I, my parents would ask me questions. I, I wasn't communicative. I wasn't verbal. 
I was a shell mm. of my former self. I was very, very unwell. So I'm sorry. So this gentleman came to you? And I had a conversation with him. He had a, a Navy bumper sticker on the back of his car. And my brother was in the Naval Academy. And I asked him about his bumper sticker after not talking for weeks. And mm -hmm. we, we talked about the Navy. I talked about my brother. And I had hope in my heart. And I, I went home to my family. And it was not, it's not been an easy journey since uh, that fall. I was encouraged by, my parents and I were encouraged by a counselor, a therapist, that it was best that I moved on with my life and went to that college 3,000 miles away. And I wasn't ready. Uh, I moved back all the way to Philadelphia. I was on antidepressants, so the depression was starting to kind of subside and I was starting to feel better on a superficial level. In on the East Coast, I stopped taking my medication. I was so overwhelmed and I came apart again. And um, I had to be flown home. I was readmitted to the psychiatric hospital again. I spent three weeks there, put on all kinds of medications. At that time, Christians in my parents' life began praying for me. And as I was starting mm -hmm. to feel better, I asked for a Bible. Did you have a faith at all when all this was happening in high school? I had always, as a little girl, always believed in God. I was raised in a religious home, but I didn't, God was so distant to me. I didn't know I could have like a personal relationship. Um, I, I didn't understand the depth of the gospel message or who Jesus really was until I started to read the Bible for myself. And mm -hmm. I watched the Twin Tower attacks from the hospital room. And I was so sick. I was so confused mm. and out of my mind. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. And as I got treatment, uh, the depression began to lift and started reading the Bible. One day in the hospital chapel, as a woman singing Amazing Grace, I really surrendered my life to Christ through whispered prayer and never been the same. I have had challenges with my mental health since. Um, again, in college at the age of 21, other hospitalizations and then, but today by God's grace with professional help, positive family community support, living a healthy lifestyle, I am now thriving, free from symptoms of mental illness. And it's my passion to help, especially girls and young women, know their value and know that they can overcome the struggles that they are going through. And also share with people who are struggling with their mental health that, that, that so much hope is available. You know, it is. And I will tell you, it's an enormous problem now because particularly among girls, there's so much coming at them. There's so much telling them who they should be and why they should be it and why they need to be better than this person or better than that. And social media is just, is just taking them down. Because I, I assume for you at that time, you didn't have much social media, did you? Or did you? I didn't have any social media. This was, this was 2001 when I graduated. Yeah. I, I don't know. It would have destroyed me if I had it. I think it does. And I, and I think parents have no idea how um, destructive it is to kids. Well, praise God that you're doing so well now. So looking back, and I'm sure you've done that a lot. Let's go back to when you were 12, because we've got a lot of parents listening and we've got women who have struggled with depression. I've experienced severe depression. I had it for two years. Nothing like, like you did, but it's 
horrible. You feel like you're sitting at the bottom of a dark well and you can't see and you can't get up and you have no idea why. Um, so looking back when you were 12, did you have any insight into where this came or was it just puberty came and, you know, it was a physiologic thing and that's the way it was? Do you have any insight now looking back on you, where it came from? And then also what could your parents have done that would have really helped you during that time? Well, I like to think of our mental health like an onion when it's very complex and there's many, many layers to it. There's the physiological, there's the hormonal, there's the spiritual, there's the circumstantial. There's so many factors that go in and really influence our mental health. And I think as a 12-year-old girl, looking at my family history, there's a genetic, clear genetic predisposition to mental health in my family. Uh, my grandfather mm -hmm. had serious mental health challenges, alcoholism, drug addiction. Um, several of members of my family have mental health diagnoses. So I think I, for sure, have had a genetic predisposition to it. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. Uh, I think the change in hormones, and you can probably speak more to this about what happens on a hormonal level. Mm -hmm. um, and then circumstantial things, you know, maybe feeling like I, I couldn't open up in my home about what I perceived were negative emotions. And so I stuffed everything and I put on a smile and I pretended like everything was fine. And I threw myself into trying to become my ideal self to override these feelings of unworthiness and insecurity, even though I did grow up fully believing I was loved and, and in a healthy household. So mm -hmm. I think one, one thing parents can do is, is really try to cultivate a environment in your home that is open to talking about any, any subject, any emotions and, um, you know, telling your child, letting your child know that nothing is off topics and, and, and you can handle difficult conversations about emotions and educating them that really mental health is a huge part of physical health and, um, normalizing conversations mm -hmm. about mental health. Well, how are you sleeping? What are you worried about? What are the things that are on your mind? Um, it looks like something is concerning you. Can you tell me more about that? And, asking really intentional questions. Um, so I think those are a few things that I think could have been beneficial as a 12 year old girl. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, this sounds weird, but I love your story because your story is one that doesn't show, oh, there's a trigger and this happened and this caused your depression. Depression has a mind of its own, and you're absolutely right. Having a genetic predisposition is really important for parents to know, to understand, okay, you know, my kids could be at risk for this, so I need to pay attention and watch for that. That's very important. I mean, you don't need to tell your kids they're going to get depressed, but just to watch your kids. Puberty is a classic time if a gal is going to experience depression. Often puberty triggers it. 
the hormonal change. And parents will often say, well, you know, it was right around 12 or 13 or 11 that she just something happened. I don't know what. And also, I think a lot of times, you know, I'm sensitive to this as a parent and then as a grandparent too. Parents feel very, very guilty if they see their child depressed or anxious because they feel like it's their fault. And it isn't always a parent's fault. And even if it is, deal with it. You know, because, you know, kids wear our emotions and that's very important. And I also, one more thing, want parents to realize it's the nice girls that get into trouble because the good girls don't want to hurt feelings. The good girls don't want to let their parents down. Um, the good girls want to make life easy for everybody, i.e. their parents, and not make them upset. So this means that kids aren't going to come to you and say, oh, guess what, mom? I'm just feeling really depressed because they don't want to let their parents down. So parents need to be the ones to take the initiative and say, you know, if something doesn't feel right, are you doing okay? Because that's what gives the kids the freedom to talk. You know, because parents will often say, well, my child never talked to me. Well, they won't. You need to go to them and probe a little bit and to watch your kids very carefully. So that's what but what I love is that the hope in your situation. You were really badly depressed. I mean, obviously, if you're driving to the Golden Gate Bridge um, and that's about as bad as it gets. But how wonderful that God in his grace sent that man he gave you, he allowed you to have that flat tire and that man came by. I mean, he might've been an angel, who knows? Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Allie Marie Smith. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest is Allie Marie Smith. So let's get to your book, okay, because I love your story, but I want everybody to know about your book too, Wonderfully Made. So this is your life story is what inspired you to write this book. And I assume the inspiration was because these are the things that you needed to learn about yourself. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but once you learn these things, it was a game changer for you, correct? You've got Made by God made for a relationship with God, uh, made for beauty, made to walk worthy. So talk us through some of those things and how, A, how you came up with them, and B, how did you get them to sink deep into your heart so you really believed them? Sure. Well, when I started reading the Bible following my second hospitalization at the age of 18, uh, one day I stumbled across the beautiful prayer that King David wrote in Psalm 139. And it is just full of such beautiful truths about God's love for us. And uh, one of the verses, verse 14, of course, says, I praise you. David says, I praise you talking to God because I am fearfully, meaning lovely, lovingly or reverently made and wonderfully made. And it was like reading those words it was in that Psalm. It was like, I have been waiting my entire life for someone to tell me that my life had worth and meaning that I wasn't an accident. 
And uh, they really became an anthem over my life when depression told me I wasn't even worthy of living. And I wanted all my girlfriends to know this. You know, I had so many friends that were were struggling with eating disorders, promiscuity, uh, drug, alcohol issues, depression, anxiety. And I saw at the core was we didn't know our worth. We didn't know our value. We didn't know Mm -hmm. our identity. Um, We hadn't had these core existential questions really answered. And so God became my my answer and pointing me to the source of my worth. And so as I began to grow in my faith, you know, I just discovered this beautiful life that we have been created for and the unique purposes we've been designed for. And so over 10 years ago, there's so much depth in what it means to be wonderfully made. Um made with awe and love and dignity and and purpose and beauty but then it made speaks to what are we made for and so i wanted to combine uh the depth of psalm 139 with our unique purposes especially speaking to teen girls young women and really the women who love them because it's it's a book for girls and women really mm-hmm. it's really a guidebook and so for living the life we're really created for and i share stories from other women's lives um and uh, speak to the unique issues so many girls and women uh, go through. And it's really a guidebook that can help us really unveil our true identity, value, and purpose. And you're absolutely right. That comes from God. It comes from Christ because we have to understand, and I think it's so hard for people to really let it sort of sink in, that we are made for relationship. We're made for relationship with God and then from our close family. But that's not what we focus on as people. I mean, that's probably not what you you as a teenager um, probably focused on doing a lot of great stuff and getting good grades to make you feel that was where your value came from. Do you where did that come from? Do you feel like well, your culture taught you that? Did you feel pressure from your parents? You said they were uh, overachievers. Did you feel pressure from them at all to sort of keep up with with that lifestyle? Or did you perceive they felt their value came from their the stuff they did? I, I think I, I think just for anyone growing up in a successful, hardworking, sometimes high achieving home, I mean, it seems like... Mm-hmm it can be the standard, right? Like, so you compare your life, your future to that standard. And you feel like if Mm -hmm. you were to live a life that is more simple or ordinary or doesn't achieve that much, then maybe you're not worth as much. And so, I mean, I am so close to my parents. I love my parents. I have the best relationship with them today. Um, so it's it's not like they failed me in that area. It's just the way that I was raised, and as and my person and my personality too is I. Oh no no no! Yeah, and the culture I was it's, raised in, and so you can be a high achiever, and you have the personality to sort of look perfect and feel perfect, but it, it doesn't work. You're absolutely right because your parents are living in the culture too. I mean, I mean, we all are. So. Let's go through some more of these because I think what I love is this whole idea that we are made for relationship. We are made for relationship with God and with one another, but we don't pay attention to that. Um, Made with love and wonder. 
Can you unpack that? Sure. Well, that chapter is uh, is inspired by the verse in Psalm 139, verse 14, and it really packs this idea. You know, scientists say, according to scientists, the odds that you and I have been born are one in 400 trillion or more. And so, you know, I say the definition of a miracle is that something is so unlikely that it's pretty much like impossible. And by that definition, you and I are all miracles. We really are. And how often do we, Mm -hmm. you know, think about the wonder of our breath or the, what our cells are doing or how our heart is beating? I mean, we, because of who God is and who he created us to be, we are made in his image uh, so profoundly and with such worth. And so that was a big, and I think girls and women are looking for their true value. They, you know, for me, you know, I thought if I looked like this, if I did this, if I did that, then I would be valuable. But um, when we know our God-given value and identity, it truly changes everything. And we can rest secure in who God really created us to be. We don't need to be striving. I think in our culture, so many girls, you know, about one in four young women have a mental health condition today. And really to compound this, girls Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. raised in a godless culture that tells them their identity and worth is found in their appearance and in their influence. And they're also Mm -hmm. contending with the toxicity of social media and the everyday pressures of school and life. So Mm -hmm. that is a lot. And um, our culture is really telling us that it's about the idol of self. It's about creating this ideal self Mm -hmm. so that the world's metric systems will deem us worthy when our worth and value comes from, from God alone. And so I I know how hard it is to be a young woman in our culture and today, and I think it's even more challenging today than it was 20 years ago when I was a teen, but I hope that girls and women can, can find that there's a better life awaiting for them when, you know, when we receive help and we find our identity and our value in God. Yeah. And I think that people, you're absolutely right, are just reaching and reaching and reaching. And personally, I think the whole transgender, I'll call a movement because it really is because I've been doing practicing pediatrics for 32 years and I've never seen anything like this in the past Mm -hmm. five years. Mm -hmm. You don't go from zero to 200 overnight. But this, I think our need, which is a we're driven by this need to know, am I valuable? Is my life worth living? And who am I? It drives us so much. And we keep reaching for answers through social media, through this, through even the transgender, you know, and I've, and I've taken care of patients with it, you know, just, well, maybe I'm really meant to be a boy and maybe that's where my value and maybe that's where my joy has come from. And I get it. I totally get it. But it's hard for kids and for adults who live in a culture that pulls them so far in the other direction to say, no, 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 this is what you're worth. No, 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 measure it this way. How do you get them to flip over and say, no, your worth comes from here when there are forces out there competing so much for the description, the identity of who they are? 
you see what I'm saying? Because it feels like the scales are so tipped towards the, the culture than towards understanding your value comes from God and relationship with him. I really believe it can take one person in your life to change your whole outlook on who you are, on your future, on what you're worth, whether that's a youth pastor, your mother, your father, your sibling, that one person, we can invest in the lives of our young people and tell them who they really are in a culture that is just confusing them. And I think that is the most profound way that we can really make a difference is one-on-one -on -one impact. So there's so much confusion, not just sexual confusion. Of course, we know that it's huge in this movement right now, but um, mm -hmm. you know, we get to be the truth tellers to tell the young people in our life, whether it's your child, whether it's your niece. You know, I have three nieces, and so I dedicated my book to my three nieces and that uh, they would come to know the depth of what it means to be wonderfully made. And we get to be the one to tell them who they really are. I love your answer. And I, and I almost kind of set you up for that one because <laughs> you're right. What, what I meant to say, the pull of our kids to um, find their worth in this or this or this or this is so strong. It intimidates parents. It frightens parents. But the message is, hold on a minute. You know, you can flip over. It doesn't take that much, but you have to be real and you have to mean it and you have to believe it. And when you communicate it to that one person, boom, the light goes on and it's God's work too. So I wanted everybody to know who's having a real hard time grasping what you're talking about. You know, we can read these things that you write, that you are this and you are this, but if you're depressed and you're totally lost, those words bounce off. But one person, one person can change all that for you. And so for everybody listening, read your book, get it, understand it, understand how much God loves you, and then tell one person. Because don't believe it's going to bounce off of them because it doesn't always. And one person can totally change the trajectory of another person's life and mood and faith, just like it happened to you. I mean, your story is brilliant because you can see God's hand all in it. And I'm sure you didn't at the time. I'm sure you were just in a dark hole kind of, but God was there and he, he gave mm -hmm. you a flat tire. This is so wonderful of him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that day packing my bag for the psychiatric hospital for the first time. And I remember thinking I was never going to get out of those walls. I was thinking I was going to be locked in four walls for the rest of my life. And in God's great mercy, He has given me a life of such purpose and meaning and beauty. And I just hope that any young people who are believing they're a mistake or believing that depression will be the rest of their story, that they can grasp the depth of God's love for them and that He can help them overcome and joy and purpose and freedom and healing is possible for them too. Mm -hmm. And for parents 
who, and I know there's a lot of parents who are listening that go, and I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm searching, and nothing's working. The answer's right in front of you. For children and teenagers who are searching and searching for that thing that will make them feel okay and lovable, the answer's right there. Psalm 130, the answer is right there. But you have to take time to let it sink in. Even if you need to read your book over and over and over, and, and that's made what it takes. Sometimes people need to read something like Psalm 139 over and over and over and over, but don't give up because it works. Mm. It's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that makes you feel, yes, I am worth something. I'm not only worth something, I am like a diamond. And when the light shines, this beauty and these colors come all over. And that's not an exaggeration. You know, we're not being boastful and saying this is who we, this is who we are, not because we did anything, but because God did. Her book is wonderfully made, Discover the Identity, Love, and Worth You Were Created For. And my guest has been Allie Marie Smith. You've been wonderful. And I thank you for sharing your story. It's got to be hard, but it, it touches so many. You have no idea how many mm. hundreds of thousands of people's lives you can touch through just mm. sadly your pain, but then the beauty that came out of the pain. Mm. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Allie Marie Smith as much as I did. You know, I really enjoyed it because over the 30 some years I've been practicing pediatrics, I have seen hundreds and hundreds of girls who suffer from low self-esteem. So to me, this was a really important topic. All right, on to my points to ponder. One, don't talk about your daughter too much. Now, this sounds counterintuitive, but kids don't like it when parents boast about them too much. Here's why. They feel that you are propping them up because they need it, or they feel that your love for them is greater when they have something for you to boast about. Over-talking about your kids can put pressure on them, and it can make them feel insecure, so be very careful. Find a balance between constantly talking to others about your kids and never talking about them. Two, remark on your daughter's character, not her looks. Girls spend an inordinate amount of time on social media and with their friends to create a superficial picture of themselves, but the pictures only make them feel worse about themselves in the end. So to counter this, Find your daughter's character qualities and praise her for them often. Three, never comment on your daughter's weight. Many parents make comments about their daughter's figure in order to make them feel better about themselves, but this always backfires. If you tell your daughter she should lose a few pounds, she feels fat. If you tell her that she is thin and lovely, then she will feel that she needs to maintain that in order to get your approval. It's okay to tell her she looks pretty, but never comment on her weight. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, don't talk about your daughter too much. Two, remark on her character, not her looks. And three, never comment on your daughter's weight.
I want to thank my guest, Allie Marie Smith, for joining me on the show today. You can find out more about Allie when you go to wonderfullymade.org and check out her book, Wonderfully Made, Discover the Identity, Love, and Worth You Were Created For. And once again, her website is wonderfullymade.org. She's on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And remember, parents, please join my mission to help dads everywhere with tools in my masterclass that will help any dad grow closer to his kids. Go to meekerparenting.com slash strong. And remember, until next time, parents, great kids are raised, not born. Many of you know that a while back, I wrote a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and it became an international bestseller. Well, I believe that this stemmed from the fact that I revealed a daughter's heart for her dad. It showed every dad what his daughter needs from him. Well, since then, many fathers have written to me and said, well, okay, the book explained what my daughter needs from me, but now what do I do to meet those needs? They wanted very specific steps they could take that would grow them closer to their daughters. Well, I am thrilled to say that now I'm giving dad those answers in my brand new hot off the press, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. Even if you haven't read the book, the masterclass shows you exactly what you can do to be the dad your daughter needs you to be. And the course is for every dad, whether your daughter is seven or 47, whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or unemployed, it doesn't matter. If you have a daughter, you must take this masterclass. She needs you to. It's made up of 10 different modules covering every topic a father and daughter relationship faces. You can listen to it like a podcast or you can watch it and you don't have to watch it all at once. You can watch it for 10 minutes a day or 30. It doesn't matter. Whatever time you have, I promise this might be some of the most important and valuable time you've ever spent. To celebrate the launch of this masterclass, we're giving you $30 off. Go to meekerparenting.com slash strong to get your discount. Plus, I'm excited to announce that you'll not only get the $30 discount, you'll also get a special bonus. In June, I'll be doing live chats with other dads you'll be able to join. You can ask any question about the course or whatever you want. Go to meekerparenting.com slash strong for more info. Your daughter will thank you for it.